Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Hey, good morning. Uh, Welcome to New Garden. If this is your first time here, my name's Jeff. I'm the lead minister, and today I have the pleasure again of getting to dive into the Bible with you. If you've been with us, we are doing this sermon series, Life is a Garden, and this is the, I think, the fifth week, and we have finally made it out of Genesis chapter 1 and into Genesis chapter 2, where we will be today. So if you have a Bible and you can see it, or an app, and you want to open to Genesis chapter 2, that's where we'll be. If you've been missing or you miss in the future, you can go to the website, newgarden.church slash 2022. And all but one of our lessons will be posted and uh, all of our resources. Last week we had a little technical difficulty, so if you missed it, it didn't get recorded. But we talked about the seventh day and, and the, the cycle of rest and, uh, and this, um, what we revolve our life around. And so that's kind of where we were last week. But you can look at the slides and get an idea of where we were. Um, but we're talking about gardens and, and how life is a garden. And we're going slow in this first uh, couple chapters because it is the foundation for the rest of the biblical story. And so for the rest of the story, these authors and prophets and teachers are going to reach back to chapters 1, 2, and 3 and draw conclusions and metaphors and ideas from, which we're going to actually talk about today as one of the psalmists and one of the prophets reaches back to the very beginning and pulls these truths into their time so that we can now kind of reach back and pull these truths into our time. But this is where we've been for the past four weeks. We, we've been looking at Genesis 1, verse 1 through 2, 3, which is this kind of first uh, pericope or story narrative that the Bible presents. And it is a large-scale picture. And so for the past few weeks, this is what we've been diving into. We've, we've said it's a large-scale picture of God's establishment of cosmic order. He takes uh, darkness and waste and chaos, and he brings order and a place where life can uh, develop. And the reason he brings this is because he wants to place a certain creature in this habitat. So it's a a large-scale picture of God's establishment of cosmic order with his divine images who represent his rule. So we talked about how humans are made in the image of God, uh, much like an idol would represent a God's presence in the temple, we are that and so much more. Because not only do we represent God, but we also partner with God. We're not just a, a reflection, but it's, it's, and we're not equals with God, but he wants and desires a, a humanity that partners with him and takes his creation on to the next level while they always look back for the wisdom that he provides. And then last week, we kind of looked at this idea so that the world becomes sacred space for his presence to dwell. That the seventh day is this picture of God resting in his temple, not sleeping in his temple, but taking up 
residence and taking up uh, a place of power and position. And what we're going to see in the next few chapters is God's presence continues to be there. You know, in the very first verse, we find the, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And soon we'll find the same wind that, the, that Adam and Eve hear each day as God is walking kind of through the garden. And uh, so God's presence continues to move and continues to be available to humanity. So the past few weeks, we've, we've kind of come to this, that this ideal cosmic setup that precedes Genesis 2-4, which we're going to jump in today, which focuses on God's establishment of a sacred center within the cosmos, uh, it has prepared, uh, or he has prepared in Genesis 1. So this is the setup for what we're about to dive into. So there are kind of two creation stories. Um, Genesis 1 paints one, Genesis 2 paints another, and there are different ideas of how they kind of fit together, which we could spend a lot of time on. We're going to kind of cross over that and not discuss it too much today. Um, but it's this idea of Genesis 1 is setting up the picture of what is about to happen, that God has brought order, and then now we're going to look and see how God continues to work. And I was going to put, give out a handout today, but instead I'm going to put it on a slide. And if you want to go later um, to the website and download the slides, you can get a better picture because this is going to be very hard to read. But over the, the next uh, few kind of pictures that we see in the story, it actually forms what we talked about last uh, year is a chiasm, that the story kind of works its way in and then works its way back out, giving us similar settings and characters. And so what we're going to look at today is this kind of first setting, that humanity is created and placed in the garden. And so you've got Yahweh, God, and the human, and they, it goes from outside the garden to inside the garden. And as you continue to read, you're going to find man and woman are created and unified. And then there's this dialogue between the snake and the woman. And then you get to the very middle where the woman and the man eat from the forbidden tree. And even within that little storyline is actually a chiasm as well, that it kind of works its way in and works its way back out. And then you have a dialogue between God and the humans working way back out consequences for the snake, man, and woman as they're divided now. They were unified, they're divided. And then finally it works its way back out where humanity is banished from the garden. So from inside to outside. And again, you can just, it's a way to kind of start looking at these different uh, settings against each other. So you read the first against the, the last and say, okay, what do those have in common? Then you kind of work your way in. And so we'll be looking at some of these over the next few weeks. But today what I want to do is focus on verses 4 through 17, where humanity is created and placed in the garden. And so this is how it starts. In, in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that Yahweh, God, made the earth and heaven. Okay, so here's a side note for you Bible nerds who want to go check this out. Um, the word or the thing that gets translated, this is the account, is the Hebrew word toledot, which occurs 10 times in the book of Genesis and usually refers to the generations of or the story of. And so again, I'm going to put a slide uh, a picture in the slides that if you want to go and read through Genesis and look how these are kind of ordered. Um, and this will give you some reflection on how Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 relate to one another. So whether Genesis 2 is kind of carrying on the story of Genesis 1 or it also could kind of back up into the story of Genesis 1 and kind of show a different direction. But you can go dive into that this week. We don't have time to get into it. But 
So this is the account. So it's kind of a heading. So um, the, the Hebrew writers, they don't have a lot of punctuation to work with. And so what they do is they use words in order to introduce kind of new ideas. And so this is like the author putting a, like a bold heading saying, hey, this is something new. And it's not only a heading, but it's also a hinge as well. It connects the story we just read in Genesis 1, where if you remember, you find God creating the heavens and the earth, right? And so this is the account of the heavens and the earth in the day they were created. And then, this, then the, the author kind of hinges it and works its way back out to say, in the day that the Lord God or Yahweh Elohim made the now earth and heavens. And so you see the flip there, it's kind of a mirror. And so now it's like we're going to focus on the land and what's going to happen in the land. So in the day that Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heavens, here's what happened. Now, and this is all just a descriptor before we actually get to any action. So this is just setting up the story. Now, uh, there was no shrub of the field that was on the earth yet. And there was no plant in the field that had yet sprouted. So no shrub. These are like, just like, bu- like unedible bushes. And then plants are like things that produce fruit. So there's nothing. There's non-edible plants. There are no edible plants. There's nothing. For Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, had not sent rain upon the earth. So there's, there's no like watering system. No plants, no water, and there was no human to cultivate the ground. There's no people. So, okay, it's kind of getting us back into that Genesis 1-1 idea of well, this is not good. You know, it's like darkness and wasteland and chaos. And like, how are we supposed to survive? Um, but there was, and the translations go a little bit different here. So some of your translations will say there was a mist, as if like a dew, perhaps, you know, each morning that watered stuff. Um, but also it can be translated flow or stream. And it's a difficult word to translate because this is the only time this word occurs in the Hebrew Bible. But it is a word play. Um, in the Hebrew, it's the word aid, um, which is going to be a word play on the, the ground, which is Adamah, and the human, which is Adam. And so they all use the same letters. And so an aid came up, and out of the Adamah, and out of the Adamah, an Adam was formed. So the, the, the author is trying to kind of use word play to say all these things work together. So there's no, none of this, but a, a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Okay, so we got kind of a picture in our mind. Now God's going to start working. So we got kind of a pictures of the waters. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed the human of the dust from the ground. And so you just stop and think, okay, so you've got this kind of maybe desert wasteland. There's no plants, but you've got this water right? That's kind of streaming through. And when you mix dirt and water, for those of us who have kids, what do you get? Mud, right? You got something to work with. Then so you, got, you got water and you got dirt, something to work with. You can start creating. And so it's almost this picture of, okay, now that the, the elements are there, then God gets to work and he forms the human from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living person or being or soul. Now, the Lord God planted a garden 
toward the east. Also could be translated from of old. He planted this garden in the east or from of old in Eden. So there's this, there's like, it seems like there's the world, like the, you know, everywhere. And then there's this place called Eden. And then inside of Eden, God plants a garden. And there he placed the human whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. Now, for those of you who have read a couple chapters ahead in chapter three, think, is there a place in the story where a human sees a tree and thinks that tree looks good and it's pleasing to the eye and it looks good for food? Like, yeah, yeah, that's going to be Eve here in in a chapter. So every tree, and they all look great. They all look good for food. And also, the tree of life was in the middle of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, or good and evil. So things are happening. The human, a human is formed. The human is placed in the garden, and God causes all these good trees to sprout up. There's all of them, but there's also this tree of life, and there's this tree of the knowledge of of good and bad. Now, back to that water that we talked about earlier. Now, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers or four heads. The name of the first is Springer, Pishon. It flows around the land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the onyx stone are there as well. And you think, what is, what, why do I need all these details? But later on you think, okay, where do they need to go to get all these precious jewels for the high priest to wear? And it's like, okay, I remember that, that, that one river. And the name of the second river is Gusher, Gihon. And it flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. I don't even have to tell you where that is. It goes by Babylon. It's going to be a key factor. Like all these places are key. Babylon, Assyria, the south, all these places are factors. And even the way that it's written, it's almost like this giant river that starts out wide. And then as it goes, like its water gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Because in the Hebrew, you've got 20 words to describe the first river, then 10 words to describe the second river, and then eight words to describe the third river, and then four words to describe the fourth river. So it's like, even, even in the description, it itself shows you what a river looks like. Then, back to the human. So we've got talking about the waters, talking about the human, talking about the waters, back to the human. Then the Lord God took the human and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. Now, if you're thinking, uh, if you've just read this, you think, didn't he already place the human in the garden? And a lot of like, you know, people be like, hey, your Bible's wrong. This is uh, obviously showing that the Bible has like different stories that were just all thrown together. How can God put him in the garden and then later put him in the garden again? You know, your Bible's wrong. But the word here that's used to put him is the Hebrew word that means to rest, to noach. Um, This is actually where the word, the name Noah comes from, uh, to rest or comfort. And so he, he rests him in the garden which is going to be used later on in the biblical story, again, of God in the same way rested. He, he, uh, he sabbathed, and those two words come together. So again, it's, it's not, 
He wasn't there, but God's putting him in the right place to do his job. And what's his job is to cultivate and attend. So even from the very beginning, humans were supposed to work. You know, it wasn't all just sitting on clouds and playing harps. It was like, hey, you got a job to do. And these words later get picked up to talk about the priest and the role of the priest and, and what they do in the temple. And so it's like this human is this priestly role to tend and to take care of this, this garden that the, the Lord God has, uh, has made. Then the Lord God commanded the man, the Ha'adam, saying, listen, you see all these trees? They, they're all good. They all are beautiful. They all have fruit and stuff you can just go pick and it's going to be good to eat for you. Do you see all these? Enjoy all of it. Go eat all of it. Like taste, test, see that it's good. Have fun. Have a ball. Go experience it. Except one thing. Just that one tree, that's the knowledge of good and bad. Don't, don't eat that one. Because I'm telling you, on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, so that's the first, first kind of picture that we get uh, of this God creates a human. He places him in this garden. There are all kinds of beautiful trees that are good for food. And there's really one rule that God has. And he says, listen, there's a way to knowledge that you can take for yourself or you can trust that I know what's best and you can listen to me and I will give you knowledge. Like they're gonna, they need knowledge of what is right and wrong, good and bad, of good and evil. They need that. But the question is, is how are they going to get it? There's a way of getting it that leads to death. And apparently there's a way of getting it that leads to life. And there's a whole tree devoted to this, this idea of life. Now, there are three things that come up out of the ground um, in this story. You've got this stream that comes out and is watering the garden and eventually waters the whole world. It's like this picture of, of God's creative act. It's not meant to stay within this place, but it, it expands and it goes out to the whole earth, right? Which, again, you, you think about Abraham's call to be a blessing, not just for his own family, but to be a blessing to the nations. You think about Jesus calling his disciples and saying, listen, this is not just for your church. This is to spread from here to there to there to the ends of the world. Like, it's not supposed to stay. The goodness of God doesn't stay in one place. It expands and it flows out. Whether, whether those people are receptive to it or not, it, it wants to knock down the doors. Um, so you've got this stream that comes up out of the ground. And, and from this stream, it seems like the dirt mixes and then this human is formed and comes out of the ground. And then finally, God creates these trees that come out of the ground. So you've got streams, water, you've got humans, and then you've got tr trees. So streams and humans and trees. And wouldn't you know, throughout the rest of the Bible, the authors pick up on these key ideas that humans are like trees that need to be planted by streams of living water. There, it's, it's throughout Scripture, but here's just a couple. So Psalm 1, the first Psalm, it gives us kind of the idea of how we're supposed to read the rest of the Psalms and the rest of Scripture. And the psalmist says, <clears throat> uh, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We talked about this maybe last year sometime. It's this progression of, you know, you're walking along and then you stop, and then finally you just sit down and you're like, I'm committed to this idea. But the writer says, blessed is the person who's, who doesn't do that, 
Instead, his delight, the person's delight, is in the law of Yahweh. Now, when we think law, I think a lot of us think Ten Commandments and Leviticus, which sounds super boring, right? Like the law, I got to take a goat, and I got to take a dove on certain days, and I can't wear these clothes, and I got to wash my hands this many times. And, but the word law is the word Torah, which also means instruction. Um, and it, I think it's general enough to mean just instruction. Blesses the person whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord. In other words, his, not only his, his rules and commandments, but his teachings and his wisdom and what he has to know. Like, I'm sure a lot of us have had teachers or maybe mentors or people that, man, we just want to sit in front of and just listen. Listen to their stories. Learn from their lives. Learn all the things that we can about, like, all their knowledge so that we can apply it. And the psalmist says, listen, blessed is the person who sits at the feet of Yahweh to just listen and absorb and say, God, just give me your wisdom. I don't want to go over here and try to take it and find it on my own. I just want to plant myself in front of you and listen to you. Because on his law, he, this person meditates day and night. And this word meditates, it can also refer to kind of what a lion does with its food. It's like growling and eating and tearing apart. It's consuming its, its prey and blesses the person whose delight is in ingesting the words of God, ingesting the words of life that come from God, taking God's word and bringing it into my life. You know what that person is like? the person who delights, whose joy is in God, he's like a tree. That person, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. His roots, the, the, the place where he gets his nourishment, don't come from the outside. They come from the fact that he's planted next to these streams of water. And because of that, what happens? Man, it's a tree of life eternally. It's making fruit all year long, every season. Whether you think you should or whether you think you shouldn't, there's just always this fruit. In fact, it doesn't matter if it's a drought. It doesn't matter if it's a flood. Your leaves never, never wither because you're not relying on all the things that come in from the outside. You're relying on what's coming in from the inside of where your root system are. And whatever that person does, he prospers. A man who's like a tree because he's planted in these streams of water that come from God. Psalmist says in Psalm 36, How precious is your mercy, God. And the sons of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you allow them to drink from the river of your delights. For the fountain of life is with you. In your light we see light. In other words, this God, God is this fountain of life. There's this tree of life. There's this fountain of life. And it's the person who, is, who, who plants themselves in the word of God and meditates and consumes all that God has in store for them, that they are blessed and they will prosper no matter what is happening on the outside. Um, and what's interesting, I'm going to go back for just a second. What's interesting is you would expect, if you read the first few lines, like blessed is the person who, who doesn't walk, who doesn't stand, who doesn't sit, you would expect him to flip those and say, but blessed is the person who you know, does walk in the counsel of the righteous, who stands next to the, those who are wise, who sits in the, the council, you know, sits next to people who are worshiping or something. But he doesn't. He says it's not about these 
external things. It's not about checking off a list, going here, doing this, you know, making sure your to-do list is full of all these righteous things. Those are great. But the opposite of doing these is joy, which is an internal, uh, internal thing. Delight. And I think, well, okay, where does God place the human in Eden, which means pleasure or delight? And so you have this human who has access to God, who has access to this tree of life, who has access to this stream of water that is flowing, you know, from God's creation. And the psalmist comes and he says, listen, this is available to anybody and everybody. You don't have to be this human formed out of, the, out of the dust and placed in this garden of Eden, but the Eden is available to all of us. It's a matter of where we source our life from. Because we're going to read about this, how the humans mess up. And they take knowledge for themselves instead of just absorbing the knowledge from God. Um, in Jeremiah, he will put it this way. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh and whose trust is Yahweh. For, this may sound familiar, he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and does not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. So in Psalm 1, the psalmist says, the person who delights, who has joy in the instruction of God, And Jeremiah comes along and says, it's the person who trusts in Yahweh. Again, it's not about all these actions. It's not the person who's circumcised on the eighth day and who memorizes the Torah uh, for for just the memorization's sake. It's not the person who goes to the temple on a regular basis and who uh, tithes and who does all these outside activities. It's the person whose joy comes from God and the person who simply trusts in Yahweh. And so, there's no wonder you have all these words about the tree of life and we get the light from God and there's this water and the stream and blesses the person who trusts and the person who's joyful. That when you flip to the New Testament, the, the, the gospel of John starts out like this, that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light, the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Jesus is the life. He is the word. He is the the life and the light. He goes on to sit next to a well where this, this woman has come who's an outcast and she's there to, to draw water. And Jesus says, listen, um, everybody who drinks this water, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. A few chapters later, Jesus finds himself in Jerusalem at the time of a festival where the high priest would go and he would dip water out of the river and he would make his way up through the streets and he would take it to the temple and pour it out. And on the seventh day, he would do this seven times. And on this this final day of the feast, this is what it says. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me 
and drink. The one who believes, who trusts in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, which I think is a double meaning. One, it's about Jesus. That from Jesus will flow living water, which on the cross he gets stabbed and what comes out, blood and water. But John also makes a side note to say that he was talking about the spirit as well. That the one who trusts in God will have the spirit living inside of them. And so in the very beginning pages of the Bible, we have a picture of a God who creates uh, an environment for humanity to thrive. And he places them next to the stream and next to the, surrounds them with trees that are good to look at and good for food. And he says, listen, just trust in me and you'll have fountains of life. You'll have fruit of life and your life will bear more fruit. And the story just takes that truth and just places it over and over and over and kind of redefines and reshapes it in different ways until you get to Jesus. And in John 10, 10, for those of us who remember it, Jesus will say the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Just like that serpent of old who says, take what doesn't belong to you. It's going to lead to your death. And I'm going to destroy the whole plan. But Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so each week we come to a table and we take bread and we take cup to remember this new way that God has been doing what he's been doing from the very beginning, offering us life. We take bread and we take cup and we ingest it. Now, you know, there are different views on some people believe this becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus when we take it into our bodies. But, I, you know, at, at, at least it is the symbol to remind us if we are taking Jesus into ourselves, we are taking of the tree of life today. The question is, is tomorrow are we going to continue to root ourselves next to those streams of life, looking to God for wisdom and understanding and knowledge? Last week we talked about rhythms and what we what we circle our lives around. And are we allowing the time and space to make sure that we have rhythms to circle our lives around God? And today the question is, is are, are we allowing, what are we allowing into our lives? Are we making sure that the first thing we ingest each day is God? That's our challenge today. I'm going to pray for us and we'll go to the table and we'll just have a few minutes to reflect. Uh, let's pray. Father, it's an old story that is new every day. It's a true story. It's a true story in my life every day when you are offering all sorts of good things and yet I look over and I see one tree. One tree that I think, oh, I think that would be good for me. And you say, no, stay with me, Jeff. And some days the temptation seizes me. But you continue to call. And so today you call all of us to come to the table where we are reminded that you have overcome sin and death and you have offered life. And so God, as we take the bread and we take the cup today, let it be a testament that you provide life, you provide knowledge, and let us find our joy and our trust in you. It's through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's go to the table.
That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.